There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Michael Reed Show. Friday morning, the 1st of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. As you've been hearing this morning, Gardaí have told LMFM News that inquiries are continuing after fireworks were allegedly set off at a guarded car patrolling in the Moneymore estate in Drogheda last night. A spokesman has said that no material damage was caused to the vehicle and officers weren't injured and that no arrests were made. Now, there's a video of these fireworks circulating and I have it open here in front of me. If I take a look at it now, it seems to be a little bit more dramatic uh, than the statement from the Gardaí would indicate. I'll set it rolling here now. My word, my. There's a, a ball of fire that I can see on the screen here. That uh, appears to be the headlights of a car now going through the flames. Yeah, it, it is. It's a car. I, I know you can't see this, but there's a young fella there. He looks to be in danger at this stage because there's a lot of fire. No, he seems safe now. He's out of the line of fire, literally the line of fire. The car seems to be through too. But wait, hold on. That young fella has turned on his heel now. He's chasing the car. What's that he's holding? Oh, my God. It's a Garda patrol car. Can't see the young fella now. Uh, Oh, yeah. He's there, but he's wearing a hoodie. Can't see his face. Uh, uh, That seems to be a petrol bomb that he's holding. Oh, no. Uh, He's fired it at the Garda car. It it must be a petrol bomb. The car is in flames. Oh, that was uh, the bottle exploding. Wow. Okay, the car is through. Uh, It seems to be safe at this stage. That video footage was filmed in uh, the Moneymore housing estate last night. For dramatic purposes, we slowed the film down to spell out what was happening. What you heard actually happened in the blink of an eye. The film in real time lasts less than 15 seconds. Let's talk about this with Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd and Melda Munster, Sinn Féin TD in Louth. Good morning to both of you and thank you indeed uh, for coming into us uh, this morning, Fergus O'Dowd. Uh, you've watched this film yourself. Yes, Michael, it's absolutely shocking, unacceptable, frightening, obviously, for the people who are in the car, the Gardaí, and for the residents of Moneymore who will obviously have seen this or anybody that might have been on the street adjacent to or on a bike or anything could have happened. And it's obviously the Gardaí put their lives on the line every day in our town protecting the citizens. 
and I'm shocked and appalled and horrified. I spoke to the Chief Superintendent this morning. He assured me, like your report says, that the, the car wasn't injured. And as far as he knew, the report was the car hadn't been damaged. But when you look at that, it's something you see in Beirut or some, some of those appalling places where you have violence on our streets. And to, it's an indication to, to, to your mind, was that a, a petrol bomb? Well, I'm not competent to say, but mm, what I'm saying, like I'm one, frightened. Though, I'm absolutely a Molotov it was cocktail. A fire. It was a fire. Yeah. It was absolutely And it exploded. Well, to me, it looked like a very dangerous situation, particularly for the Gardaí. Mm. Uh, whoever was in the car, I would hate to, my oh. son or daughter mm. to be doing that. And that's what people are doing. They're putting their lives on mm. the line every day. And it's a very small number of people are doing this. Mm. The Gardaí are stretched, there's no doubt about mm. that. Uh, they have, they need more resources, I believe, as well. And obviously, clearly, there's a number of people appearing in court separately today on other drugs charges, which hopefully is the start of a process of putting people away who are a danger to our society. Okay, as I say, Melda Munster is on uh, the telephone. Good morning to you, Melda, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, You've seen that video. Do you think uh, you were listening to a a dramatic description of what is on, or an accurate description of what is on film? Yes, I mean, firstly, they were shown total disregard for anybody's safety, uh, the the safety of the Gardaí and the patrol car that were there just to... protect and patrol for the community, particularly on the night that it was like, but total disregard for the safety of children that might have been out trick-or-treating um, last night in, in that particular estate, you know, and looking at the footage, I looked at it several times actually yeah. just in disbelief, but it looks like it, it didn't, I mean, I, I'm no expert, but it certainly didn't look like fireworks, you know, it, mm. it looked like there was something, there were, you know, a deliberate attempt to, to set the, the car ablaze, you know, which is extremely frightening you know and it just shows as i said the contempt they have for 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 everybody it, it actually looks like it was not the first petrol bomb thrown at the car yeah. because the film starts with fire and the car coming out right. of yeah. flames yeah. and this young fella is already armed with yeah. whatever he threw at the car which appears to be a petrol bomb yeah and i was talking to to people in the area and apparently there were Cars also smashed and, and attempted to be set, set on fire on Wednesday night. There was at least three reports that I had got where they tried to set cars on fire and then they'd set a car or a van type uh, was burnt out in the green. But for no reason, cars were parked up on the street and it was the, um, it appears to be the same people because they were going around with scarves around, scarves around their mouths, you know, their face, mm. um, Hoods and scarves, so they can't yeah, be identified. Yeah, absolutely. Like Beirut, as Fergus said, and they've sent a very clear message to the guards, you know, welcome here. Uh, it seems as though the guards are listening. Uh, uh, given that there were no arrests, uh, and given how visible that young fella is in that film, uh, and how close he is to the guard car, uh, you'd have to assume the guards have uh, decided money more is a no-go area, Fergus. Um, I don't agree. I spoke to the superintendent this morning and he assured well, me they that... must have fled for their lives after well, no, that. Well, no, no, I'm not... I, that is a frightening, appalling... Oh, absolutely. Violent, yeah, no, criminal act. There's no doubt about that. But what I am saying... I, I'm only sympathising oh, with yeah. the guards, but I mean... Oh, no, no, I accept that. They though. didn't take them on. They fled. Well, well, obviously, obviously... So the they, gangs were stronger than the guards. Well, I don't know the exact circumstances but what I do know is that the superintendent will be at a policing meeting on Monday 
and he will give us a full report on that issue. And clearly, mm. as far as I'm concerned, my job is to make sure mm. that he has any and all resources that he needs. Mm. And obviously, clearly... Was uh, this a retaliation for what happened in the town yesterday? I mean, it was a very successful day for the Gardaí yesterday. They yeah. arrested 14, 14 street did, yeah. drug dealers selling yes. hard drugs, heroin and cocaine, yeah. uh, which is an incredible amount of people to be selling hard drugs in a, a town the size of Drogheda on street corners. It really is an awful lot. And an awful lot of people for the Gardaí to arrest and that is a very successful operation. Do you think this was a retaliation because I'm told that this this attack uh, happened in the proximity of a drug dealer's house. Well, let's put it this way. Whoever did it uh, is evil and wrong. It was a criminal act and the Gardaí will pursue it fully. The facts are that, uh, as you say, the, the operation against drug dealers is working, but these are low-level dealers. They're not the kingmakers, the people that need to long... I'm not mm. saying these people don't need significant sentences, but the Gardaí are fighting them every day of the week. They have they have huge resources, but obviously it's, it's a very expensive uh, operation for them, the Armed Response Unit. They have support from all around the region, but there are obviously other demands on them as well. So the key point, the key question is is do the Gardaí have adequate resources as they see them? Are there issues around about the armed response unit? I understand that their timeline, the extension, or the, the financial administration end of it ran until the 1st of November and they're going through that process again now and clearly, clearly they'll have to get all of the resources they need in Drogheda yeah. and not anywhere Did the superintendent tell you that the armed response unit was in money more last night? Uh, I didn't ask him that mm, question okay. but, but what he did tell me Well we were watching them yeah. up in Cavan yeah, but, but, but what, he did t- what he did tell mm. me was that they've increased the number of patrols. They're mm. bigger in size. They have ordinary guardy un- unarmed and they have armed mm. guardy. And they have, they, you know, he, he is very much mm. on top of the job, I believe. And in fact, in the last few months, uh, there's been, thankfully, there have been very few serious incidents. But that's only because Do you believe the guardy are 24-7. That we're uh, on top of policing. They are, yes. Do, yeah. do you believe that we are on top of policing well, when a fellow throws a petrol bomb yeah. and possibly <clears throat> the second or third or fourth or God knows how many petrol bombs at a patrol well, car? These are questions that uh, we last. And there's no in. arrests. You believe well, we're on top of policing? No, no. What I'm saying is, I, I'm not. I'm not second guessing the Gardaí on this. Uh, I want a commitment from them that they have adequate and proper resources. I've got a commitment from the Minister for Justice and from the and from the Garda. Uh, sorry, the Garda Commissioner, that they will stay and give whatever Drogheda needs to mm. make sure this feud ends uh, okay. and, and arrest and, and get these people. Uh, sorry, excuse me. Uh, uh, Imelda uh, do you believe the guards are on top of policing or do you believe uh, that Moneymore is a no go area for <coughs> Gardaí? Well, no, I don't believe that, firstly, that it's a no go area. But when I looked at that video, the first thing I thought of, you know, when they'd, they'd pulled out of the estate was how frightening it must be for the residents that live there. And they are. People are still very afraid. They're still very intimidated. Mm. You know, only a couple of weeks ago, I got um, a report of an incident where a house was attacked. Again, it was um, these thugs coming looking for money that they claimed was owned. But it was done in broad daylight. Like, it was done literally in the middle of the day 
with no fear of apprehension, no, uh, no fear okay. of apprehension, nothing. Okay, and let's look at this from a, a different level, if we can, uh, because uh, as we've been hearing, uh, the statement given to LMFM News indicated that fireworks were set off close to a patrol car. Our head of news, Michael Carlin, has come in to us, uh, and that didn't appear to be what happened in the video that we've all seen at this stage mm-hmm. now, Michael. And uh, rank-and-file Gardaí have issued a statement to LMFM News. Uh, they have indeed, Michael, yeah. The Garda Representative Association, Louth, issued a statement in the past few minutes. They've condemned the attacks, say, on the Gardaí who are working last night on Halloween. Uh, as we've discussed, the, the incident in Moneymore in which a young man is seen uh, pursuing a patrol car um, and, and then throwing either, as you said, a large firework or indeed perhaps a petrol bomb, as it may appear to be. Um, and, and, and the GRA have said that video, of course, was, was posted on social media last night. Um, another incident last night which has come to light um, now in the GRA statement was that... <clears throat> A few hours later, a Garda at the scene of a house fire in Black Rock, um, out just outside of Dock, mm. uh, came under attack uh, when fireworks were also thrown at her. Um, and indeed, one exploded uh, within inches of her. Um, thankfully, we understand she, she is uninjured. Um, Derek O'Donoghue, who is the GRA rep in Louth, has said that it's terrible that Gardaí, uh, trying to protect the public uh, on one of the busiest and most dangerous nights of the year, are threatened, intimidated and potentially injured. He goes on to say that if certain people consider this behaviour acceptable, which obviously it isn't. All right, and uh, we're scheduled to talk with uh, Declan Brannock, who's a Fianna Fáil TD, but obviously a, a resident in Black Rock a, a little bit later on, and that fire was pretty dramatic. That was a, a derelict house that was <coughs> set ablaze, a and uh, I think uh, by the looks of things, uh, there's no future for that house. But when you hear Gardaí issuing statements like that uh, outside of, of the Garda press office, outside of uh, the normal structures, because they're coming under fire, uh, they don't feel that yeah. they're on top of policing because they don't feel that they have the resource to be on top of policing. Well, I mean, if that poor man there was woman that was driving mm. the car last night, if, for instance, they lost control of the car, maybe an attempt to avoid that person who was coming near them, mm. God knows what could have happened. You know, they could have lost their lives. There's no doubt about that. Mm. So the question is, you know, on Monday night for the Gardaí, what more do they need? And it's my job to make sure that they get that. And as I said, I've spoken to the Garda, uh, the Garda Commissioner and I've spoken to the Minister for Justice mm. uh, in the past about this and they've assured me that whatever Drogheda needs, it will get. Okay. And that's, that's the reassurance. Uh, Amelda Monster, do you think there was an element of revenge in that attack last night? I don't know, Mike, to be honest. You yeah, can speculate I, about that. As I, said, I, I imagine the that uh, there was some harm done to the gangs in Drogheda with <laughs> not just the seizure of uh, the heroin and the cocaine, mm. but the arrest of the dealers. Yes, yes, certainly so. But as I'd said to you um, a short while ago, the, the previous night on the Wednesday mm. night, they were setting, you know, cars alight and that sort of thing. There's, there's a particular group of people that are holding people to ransom in that particular estate that have people terrified out of their lives and it, it's still going on and that nut hasn't been cracked yet because they're making their presence known people are afraid to pull up their blinds people are afraid to look sideways at them and mm-hmm. um, that's still <clears throat> ongoing the intimidation is still there and when people see and you can understand the guards given the frightening experience they had and maybe the night that was in it they knew that there was no additional resources and they knew the only for their own safety was to drive out of the estate mm. That's that's quite poss- you know that's a possibility, but for them. To, for but they should have come back, should they? I mean, I don't know if they came back, but, but they should have come back because whoever whoever that young fellow was and whoever his friends well, are would think, well, we we put them on their way. Yeah, we got it. We sent them out to yeah. the state, and they go around then cock of the hoop. But you have to think, go back then and think. That's what the people in the estate are feeling every day. And when they see that, and as I said, it's understandable that guards, mm. the guard, the guards in the car would have said get out of here. Like. Yeah. 
But at the same time, that doesn't give much comfort to people that are going through that on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, the guards are the, the, the guardians of the peace and they're there to protect people. But there's, as much as the guards are doing, and we need much mm. more resources, that level of intimidation is still as high in certain parts of the town as it was during the height of the... And maybe people can rise above that uh, intimidation. Fergus O'Dowd, well, uh, that young fellow is well disguised, uh, but yes, uh, yeah. I, I'd well, imagine there's a lot of people who could identify him. He went to some house, obviously. Oh yeah, but I bet you uh, there's an awful lot of people that could identify but, but that fellow. I want to make the point yeah. that mm-hmm. the Gardaí have a number of serious players in the criminal gangs mm. before the courts on very serious charges, so it's not that they're not having success, but they must go through what's called the due process. Mm -hmm. But there's another process which would give greater certainty to people of Moneymore and greater security is the question of the CCTV. Mm. And the problem with that is I've been on to the Minister and I said, well, why why haven't you given the money for this? Mm. And the answer is he never got an application. Oh, God, from the council? Yes, the application has not Mm. gone in Mm. and that is not acceptable. It's over a year since all this, more than this trouble arose. We've been told time and time again, CCTV has been worked on for Moneymore. There is nothing no application has been made and that is a shame and it's a disgrace and okay. it's time, well, time the people well, uh, stood up well and if, John Mar- if John Martin is listening perhaps she'll preempt her call and issue a statement or, or come on and well, explain it to her, us yeah. I'm yeah, going yeah, to meet yeah. her at 10 o'clock hopefully okay very yeah. good alright well look we'll leave it there for the moment and uh, thank you to both of you uh, for joining us here on uh, the programme uh, this morning Sinn Féin TD in Loud the Melda Munster and uh, Fine Gael TD in Loud Fergus O'Dell thanks by the way for the special effort that you made coming in here today <laughs> you, you had an injury I take it did you <laughs> Yeah, I broke my leg. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I won't think, let you down, Michael, uh, ever. <laughs> I think I've often said to you, break a leg, but uh, <laughs> I never meant it. Thanks for coming in and for that effort. Thank you indeed. Fergus O'Dowd of Finnegale. The Michael Reed Show. Call Michael now. 1850-715-958. Now, as I'm sure you've heard, a 25-year-old woman was sent to jail for a year in court yesterday. The sentence was handed down to this woman who had been a substitute teacher in the early part of last year, aged 23. She was found guilty of defilement on two counts of a minor. Let's talk about this with Nolene Blackwell, Chief Executive Officer of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. And a very good morning to you, Nolene, and thanks for joining us. As I say, most people probably have heard of this story so far. It's a very unusual story in that uh, the woman... Uh, was this boy's teacher. He was uh, 15 at the time. When he turned 16, they went to Gormanston Beach uh, where they had sex and had sex a second time in Mulhuddard. But because he was underage, uh, she's been sent to prison. How unusual is it in your experience? So uh, it's it's newsworthy, Michael, because it is an unusual it's an unusual court case. Uh, it's probably less unusual in that there one hears of interactions between older teachers and younger students, but very often it doesn't end up in a criminal prosecution. It is not. And most mo- more more often, I would gather male teachers and female students. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all, all, you know, you do you do hear of both, uh, and 
uh, and undoubtedly it's a risk. And that's actually why the law is particularly uh, strong where somebody is in a position of authority, where the crime is seen as more serious with stiffer penalties mm. because of that recognition that in, in positions of authority, sometimes people abuse their power. And that's what this was at base, was this was a person abusing her power. She should have dealt with this otherwise. Uh, in, in, in a sense, one of the most extraordinary things is that a teacher mm. could be a, a qualified teacher who didn't know that that, that young person was underage, that young boy, that ma- young man mm, mm. was underage at 16. Well, she, did, she, she, she didn't seem to know the age of uh, consent. Uh, she yeah. thought the age of consent was 17. But even if the boy had been 17 or 18 or 19, yes. for that matter, yes. uh, I think uh, the way this would be looked on would be that it would be unethical for a teacher to have such intimate relations with a student. Yeah, but the very fact that he was 15 when what was effectively grooming started and that they had sex at 16 made it a criminal act as well as unethical and all the other things that it might be. So there might be school rules, but actually the law says that when a child is 16 and and somebody has sex with them, she was 22 or 23 at the time, Mm. that it was, it is actually against the law and that she didn't know that says something about uh, the need to have a better understanding going through teacher training, going through anyone dealing with young people about uh, pr- about proper understanding of the protection of children, because this was a failure to protect a child, uh, and and she was responsible for that. Okay, uh, there was a, a report on uh, the woman which uh, found that she had no sexual interest in children or adolescents and couldn't be considered to be a paedophile, and uh, the report given to the court said that she didn't groom the boy for her own sexual gratification uh, and that she was somewhat naive in how she went about all of this Uh, but she she met with this boy uh, had sex with him on Gormanston Beach and then at a hotel in Mulhuddard and then decided that it was too dangerous and that if people found out she could lose her her job so she stopped seeing him and that had a a dramatic effect on the boy yes so she so again this is often the way where, where you see this kind of abuse of power, where you see somebody uh, manipulating somebody else in, in an emotional and in an intimate way, she then made the decision that she was stepping away from it without regard to the feelings and, and, the, and the manipulation she had already done to his emotions. So it's another reason why... Uh, people in authority are not allowed to have sexual relations. Uh, I know one of the reports that went in on her behalf, from an expert on her behalf, Mm. said she wasn't grooming the boy. In fact, she comes within the definition of grooming the boy, where she was giving him presents, where she was um, making him emotionally invested in their relationship. He was young. He was underage. Our Our society says that you have to protect people who are underage. Mm. They don't have the life experience and the knowledge uh, to, to, to protect themselves as well as adults do. And so therefore, in fact, mm. it, was, it was 
I, I, I try not to comment on individual sentences uh, in, in cases because you're never, you can't really say if you weren't there, mm, Michael, mm, in the court. Mm, mm. But on the other hand, there is no doubt about the gravity of the crime. And the judge on this occasion did point to the gravity of the crime and the fact that she was reckless. When she decided then to step away, she was yeah. reckless about okay. the emotions of the other there, child. There, there's, the undoubtedly, child. there's undoubtedly people uh, of all ages listening to us throwing their eyes up to heaven, Nolene, uh, and forgive me for saying so, but I believe that to be the case, saying, look, this is every schoolboy's fantasy. Uh, yes. But because he's a schoolboy, uh, the law considers him too young to be in a position to give consent, even though you yes. may argue it was consensual sex. But because he is too young, he cannot give consent by law. And that makes this rape what's called statutory rape. Yes, ex- ex- yeah, this, exactly right. Uh, that's exactly it. The child is too young. You hear this actually from people who uh, engage in criminal sexual activity with children who are even younger. Uh, you hear people saying it's about 12-year-olds mm. uh, that, that it was a consensual relationship. It is not capable of being a consensual relationship because the child doesn't have the growth and the maturity in order to give that consent. And in those cases, we as a society have to protect our young people and that's one of the reasons why this is it is important that it be recognized that okay you know yes exactly that there there would be books and fantasy books about Mm. this but in real life in real life this this boy was being abused um, and he was being sexually abused and it impacted very hard on him and indeed on, on his family, because we know uh, that, that his, his family were engaged in finding out what was going on. So, it's, so we, we, ha- we have to, as a society, absolutely fail to, we, we, we would fail if we don't condemn this kind of behaviour, if we don't insist that our teachers behave in an appropriate way to young people in their schools, if we don't insist that they know the law mm. around the protection of children, which in this case, apparently, the teacher did not. I think it's uh, common enough for men to be attracted uh, to younger women. Uh, and uh, a lot of people would think that the man in a relationship should be a couple of years older than a, a woman. But uh, it's unusual the other way around, is it? And especially for a woman to be attracted to a boy. Hello, Nolene. Oh. I think the line has dropped out and it's there. Uh, apologies uh, for that, uh, um, but our thanks uh, to Nolene Blackwell. Nolene is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. The Michael Reed Show. Superintendent Andy Waters uh, joins us uh, from uh, Droha de Garda Station. Good morning, Superintendent, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Perhaps we can talk about uh, the violent attacks on members of uh, the force in a moment, but uh, I'd like to begin, if I can, with uh, the successful operation in Drogheda yesterday and uh, the arrest of 14 people. Uh, believed to be involved in selling hard drugs on the streets of the town. That's correct. Good morning, Michael. Uh, This operation has been going on uh, since mid-2019, and uh, the arrests have taken place uh, in the last week or so. And as you said, 14 uh, people are before Drogheda District Court this morning. Um, 
It's part of the ongoing investigation of organised crime in the Drada district and surrounding areas, Michael. Mm. And in this particular operation, you're to target the trafficking of drugs on the streets and in the estates of Drada. How does this come about? Are Gardaí undercover acting as punters? Well, we we have the assistance of our drugs and organised crime bureau, uh, and you know a very targeted operation is conducted. Um, you know, there's a number of different elements to it, Michael, um, yeah. without going into too much detail. But um, as a result of this ongoing operation, and this operation is uh, continuing, but as I said, to date, uh, there have been 35 purchases of uh, heroin, uh, cannabis, and other controlled drugs. And that, that's what I mean, that Gardaí have bought those drugs. They have indeed, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Right, okay, that's... Uh, a, a lot of street deals, isn't it? And a, a lot of people, I mean, obviously the courts will decide whether they're guilty or not, but, but to think that there would be 14 people selling hard drugs on the streets of Drogheda is pretty incredible, particularly if all 14 of them were arrested on the one day. I mean, if you think of a city like Dublin, you would argue that uh, a lot of the drugs are concentrated, a lot of the street selling is concentrated uh, along the keys, and if there were 14 arrests in one day along the keys, uh, that would be seen as a, a significant success for the Gardaí. Yeah, I mean, there, there are arrests, and Michael, on you know a daily and a weekly basis, on a regular basis, but this particular operation, you know, was to target ongoing trafficking, as I said already, and that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. It's the trafficking of drugs on the streets uh, and in our housing estates. Um, and, you know, some of these people may have been uh, acting under the radar, some may be known to us, mm. but as I said, a number of them are before the court today, and that operation uh, will continue. And I just want to stress, Michael, as I said to you already, uh, it's just another element of the excellent cooperation that uh, we have here with our national units. Mm-hmm. I said we work very closely, in this case, with the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau, but we're working, for example, with the Criminal Analysis Bureau, we're working with other national units in the overall attempt uh, in the investigation of organised crime in the Drogheda district and indeed across the Loud Division. Right, uh, and uh, the deals, what were they uh, buying? 10 euro, 20 euro, 50 euro deals, or what? Obviously, Mike, you can uh, okay. understand mm-hmm. I'm not in the position to go into that specific detail. These matters are before the courts, so I think we let the courts you know, adjudicate on that. But the, as I said, I've outlined to you mm. the nature of the drugs no, and of varying yeah, values. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just wonder about the usage, uh, because I, I think it's an issue of huge concern for people living in the town. Uh, I mean, are people taking these drugs on a, a Saturday night, or are they full-blown addicts? Because a lot of us see some very young people walk walking along the streets and their eyes rolling in the back of their head. And that's, that's I mean, I agree, I agree 100% uh, with you, Michael, and that's, that's a huge problem, not just in Drogheda, but across the whole country. Um, and, you know, every one of these uh, drugs that are sold, they all contribute to the overall ongoing issues that we're dealing with in Drogheda and in towns around Ireland. Uh, you know, they're putting money into the pockets of the criminals involved in the sale of these drugs and who are involved in the organised crime uh, that we're dealing with, you know, uh, in the Drogheda district. Okay, well, it was uh, a great success, I think, uh, for the Gardaí. I'm sure uh, you're very happy with uh, the operation. Uh, Do you think uh, there was an element of retaliation and money more last night? No, I I wouldn't say necessarily, Michael, there was an element of retaliation. Uh, Unfortunately, at Halloween... And I have to be very clear, a small element of society, they seem to take advantage of the Halloween atmosphere to engage in antisocial behaviour. And 
The incident last night, uh, I want to, first of all, very strongly condemn uh, what happened in the Moneymore area last night. I know the GRA have made a statement this morning, and I, I mean, I fully agree with the statement that they have made. Um, we had a guard of patrol car there, uh, two young guardy doing going about their duty, and I've seen the video myself, and there's a number of uh, things I want to just say in relation to it. The, the matter will definitely be investigated. I know this young man is uh, heavily disguised, mm. but there is footage of it. There were people in the area that took footage of it, and we will be, you know, looking at every aspect of that incident to see can we identify the male. Well, content. there's plenty of people at Moneymore who'd identify him. I mean, as heavily disguised as he is, uh, he, he, I, I think uh, from his uh, stature and uh, the way he moves and so on, a lot of people will know who he is uh, apart from the way he's dressed and so on. But how many times did the car come under fire? Because as that video starts, the car seems to be coming out of a ball of fire. Yes, I mean, again, uh, I received a report from the Guardian on the night in question, and they said that uh, the male concerned, uh, he actually lit a firework, which, you know, let off a number of shots and a number of, you know, uh, bangs from the explosive device that he had, and they were aimed at the patrol car. Now, luckily enough, uh, the, the Guardian, first of all, uh, were not hurt, and we're very thankful for that. The patrol car was not damaged, but I'd just like to say one thing as well, Michael. Um, they did not drive on Garda Sheikhana out of the estate. Uh, we had uh, patrols in the uh, estate concerned. We had many other patrols in that estate during the night, and there were no further incidents of that nature. So okay. they certainly didn't drive so you're, so, out so, of the estate. Well, that, that was an assumption, obviously a wrong assumption, and apologies for that. Uh, yeah. But there were no, no arrests. Uh, that uh, would seem uh, surprising to some people, uh, given that uh, he was right beside the guards. Now, uh, I imagine in a situation like that, you've got to make the call, and it's a dangerous situation. Perhaps the best thing to do is look after your own safety first, is it? Yes, I mean, obviously, I mean, if we have if if we have the numbers to effect an arrest, and if it's safe to do so, and the safety of my officers uh, on a night like this is paramount. Uh, so, you know, if if we had the numbers to make an arrest there and then, uh, I can guarantee we would have made an arrest. But uh, at the time, the, the driver of the guard car, he left the area. But as I said to you, um, I, I'm satisfied because uh, I received reports and I was liaising with the guard on the ground throughout the whole night. We had four of the patrols in there, Michael, in that area. But... This this incident will not be left. Uh, it will be fully investigated. Was it a petrol bomb or a firework? No, um, I'm advised that it was a firework, uh, and a firework that was lit. And you know, because um, the car seemed to go, the car seemed to uh, go into flames uh, at first, and then there seemed to be a small explosion. Yeah, again, Michael, I don't know the specific yeah. what, what specific type of you know firework it was, and there's a whole range of fireworks. Uh, you know, being used by people on Halloween night. So, um, but definitely, uh, you know, it's not the kind of incident I want my officers to be dealing with, uh, putting themselves at risk to that type of incident. Yeah, and and the members of the community uh, who, as Imelda Munster said earlier on, may have been out with their children trick-or-treating. I mean, that's, that's the most unfortunate part of it, Michael. Uh, at that time, you have people enjoying the Halloween festival. Uh, parents you know, with responsibility for the children, going around, trick-or-treat, having a good time. And as I said, unfortunately, unfortunately, there every Halloween we see this, uh, there are a small element that just, they take advantage of the occasion and they engage mm. in this anti-social behaviour. The photographs of uh, the derelict house in Black Rock that uh, I saw look...
uh, bigger than any bomb fire I've ever actually seen. Uh, it was a massive fire by all accounts and according to that GRA statement that you mentioned earlier on, uh, another member of the force came under attack from youths. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that specific picture, Michael, myself yet, but again, uh, I would strongly condemn uh, that incident in Blackrock outside Dundalk. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, it's a very, very busy night for uh, on Garda Shikana and all the emergency services, uh, and they're putting themselves into, at times, some very dangerous situations, but again, I strongly condemn that incident, and I have no doubt... Uh, that incident in the dog will also be fully investigated. Yeah, and I mean, uh, there's guards in here every Tuesday, uh, obviously, uh, coming into the run-up to Halloween. Uh, they advise uh, people to be safe and to watch out for fireworks uh, and tell about the dangers of fireworks and how people lose fingers every year and so on. Uh, but apparently, uh, this uh, female member of Angarda Kana came within inches of a firework that went off uh, beside her. Yeah, unfortunately, Michael, and that, that is the very, very dangerous situation on a night like this that we face. Um, you know, but uh, again, uh, you know, we had we had plans in place, uh, you know, across the, the Garda Division to deal with the, the Halloween night. Um, and, uh, you know, they are two very serious incidents. And mm. as I said, uh, everything will be done uh, to investigate them fully. And if we can bring the perpetrators to justice, we certainly will. Just, I was listening to Deputy Munster yeah. uh, on your show there, Michael, earlier on, and, you know, about uh, the ongoing um, intimidation or, mm. you know, groups within certain estates that are holding, you know, genuine people to ransom. We are very, very aware of the difficulties faced by these people, and at every opportunity, we're liaising with the community in these estates, our community police unit are uh, dealing with them. We have, we have uh, consistently uh, increased and reviewed our patrols. We have the armed support units, as I've said numerous times, but we're using every element available to us, covert, overt, everything available to us. We do understand and appreciate that it's very, very difficult for people, and people are afraid to come forward and talk to us in certain situations, but we have... Uh, we have uh, a number of people before the courts for similar incidents. And I can tell you, Michael, um, and, you know, that operation that we have 14 people before the courts today, that's just one element of our ongoing battle against the organised crime in Drogheda. And this element of it, the intimidation, we have, for example, even recently, Michael, we've served a number of ASBOs, anti-social behaviour orders, on people in these estates. And if these people get, uh, you know, a number of antisocial behaviour orders, uh, I, as the district officer, can go to court and, you know, uh, seek exclusion orders or seek to have them, you know, excluded from a certain area. So we're looking at that avenue as well. And, you know, every avenue will be will be followed by Angarda Shikana to, uh, you know, to assist the public who are the victims of this uh, intimidation. Okay, uh, maybe we'll conclude by just uh, reminding people that they can make contact with the Guardian and give information to you on a confidential basis through the confidential line, and that's one eight hundred treble six treble one. Superintendent, thank you very much indeed for joining us here on the program this morning. Thank Superintendent you. Andy Waters speaking to us from Drogheda Garda Station. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie is here with some of uh, the calls and uh, text messages that have been coming to us uh, this morning. How are you, Maggie? I'm good, thanks. I'm Busy good. Busy morning on the phones. Yeah, it has. It's kept going all right. So. 
I will get off straight away with okay. uh, a couple of comments relating to yesterday oh, um, okay. morning. Um, Pat and Balbriggan rang about our interview with Pather Tobin and the whole issue of a United Ireland vote. Um, he heard Pather say with interest um, that he heard him maintain that a large majority of people in the Republic would be in favour of a United Ireland. And Pat wants to know how Pather intends to fund a United Ireland should it ever happen. Um, we can't afford to sustain the state as it currently stands with homeless people and overcrowded soup kitchens in every town and village in the country. So Pather needs to get real, Pat says. Okay. And um, John in, in, or sorry, Joe in Cals, in relation to all this hot air as he described it regarding elections, he says the Fianna Fáil are hanging on in the coattails of Fianna Gael and using Brexit as an excuse for not disbanding the confidence and supply agreement. With all the parties we have in this country, it's like having scrambled eggs in the morning, whatever side of the plate of the plate you eat from it all tastes the same he says. Well maybe so because uh, Finnegal seems to be saying uh, that it's not the right time to have an election as well because of Brexit. Um, and on a different topic it actually kind of came out of nowhere really this call but Geraldine just rang in to, mm. to voice a little bugbear of hers um. and as we always say get it off your chest so she did just that. <laughs> um, she mm. said it really annoys her to hear the powers that be or local authorities um, describe certain areas and towns as disadvantaged or underprivileged in order to secure more state funding. She doesn't think it's sense out a good message to the people living in these areas that they've been branded as less than or not equal than other areas okay, in her well, mind. I'm f- afraid that is the case in reality. Uh, many uh, areas are disadvantaged. Uh, I'll tell you about one of my bugbearers in a moment. Okay. Uh, but uh, let's uh, go to BlackRock, Fianna Fáil TD. Declan Brannock is on uh, the line. Uh, we've been hearing about uh, the attacks in Moneymore, in Drogheda and indeed the attack on a Garda following uh, the uh, arson attack on a, a derelict house. Uh, it seems like a, it was a, a terrible night and uh, it seems as though that uh, female member of Angarda Shia Khan uh, is lucky not to have been injured by a firework which exploded inches from her. Well, at the outset, I think the incidences in Loud are symptomatic and a mirror of what's happening, not just in Dublin, but in other regions across the country. And I would like to say, Michael, whether it's BlackRock, uh, Moneymore or Dundalk, that antisocial behaviour is absolutely unacceptable at any time. Uh, We've just heard you speak with uh, Superintendent Mm -hmm. Waters. It's a small group of people who engage in this antisocial behaviour who unfortunately give places like BlackRock a bad name. Ordinary folks have gone out and enjoyed the spirit of Halloween with their families and children. And I suppose the first thought has to be with the emergency services and to commend the fire brigade, the guardie, the ambulance services. And indeed, did, did you see the Black Did Rock. you see the fire in the house in Black Rock? It was incredible. Yeah, absolutely, along the seafront in Black Rock on the Rock Road. My um, God. I mean, but 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 when I said it's a mirror, if mm. you look at what has happened in Dublin last night, again derelict houses, uh, issues of uh, uh, fire brigades attending scenes of fire have been attacked. Uh, con- I want to condemn what happened in, in Black Rock again mm. in relation mm. to uh, a firework being thrown at a member of the Garda Shikana. But the wider issue here is that Halloween again has been chaotic. Uh, there were indications over the last couple of years, probably. Uh, when people were organising better uh, fireworks displays, you know, when money was available to local authorities, yeah. that the fire brigade did say the trajectory in the past was going down in rest of these incidents. But when you look at what has happened across the country last night, in Dublin alone, over 700 call-outs, believe it or not, many of them uh, much earlier than usual in the daytime, um, you know, 288 call-outs by ambulances. But most importantly to all of this, Michael, it seems to get lost 
but if you if you troll Facebook or any of the social right. media today, you will see the impact that this antisocial behaviour is having on our elderly and indeed on our animals. And mm. I don't mean to put the two in the one grouping. Oh, well, there were a few animals out last night uh, throwing petrol bombs or fireworks or wherever they are at Gardaí. Oh, Different sort of animal, I'm afraid. Yes, mm. unfortunately. These people have grandparents. Mm. These people know fat members of families who have animals, and I'm not trying to take from it, but the issue for me is that people don't seem to realise that we have moved over the last number of years from what were always dangerous fireworks and needed to be handled properly. But when you see signs and advertisements, again along the border, advertising dynamite and mm. explosives, uh, this tends to, for some reason, incite those small number of individuals as, 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 as Superintendent Waters indicated, but unfortunately coupled with that is an increasing sophisticated tactic in frustrating the emergency service by throwing rocks, throwing fireworks and, and, and it's totally and absolutely unacceptable. In, you, you mentioned Black Rock. Mm. In, in, we, we, we had other instances of not alone the house fire in Black mm. Rock, you know, where you've indicated that it was a derelict building but previous Previous to all of this, there were reports of the anti-social behaviour going on there. And when you can't expect every derelict house to be monitored, uh, you know, it has been used by people. Again, you had the, 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 an issue uh, later in the day, another derelict house in the town. Mm, uh, in the Longwalk area. The 16-year-old mm. girl taken to hospital. Mm, yep. it's, 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 people need to sit up and say, we need, uh, and I've said it many, many times, we need a zero tolerance uh, I spoke yesterday morning to you in relation to the carry-on that's going on on our rail network. These individuals in small numbers need to be challenged and need their parents indeed, many of them who are underage, need to take a responsibility for where they are, particularly on nights when celebrations mm. are taking place that should be, in the spirit of what a celebration is, enjoy and uh, people having well, I don't know if there's much parental control on the people that we're talking about uh, this morning uh, but uh, maybe the Gardaí will be able to put some manners on them uh, time will tell I have to leave there for the moment though thank you for joining us as always Declan Brannock Finnefall TD in Loud and a resident in Black Rock let's go back uh, to some more of the calls coming to us this morning Maggie um, I have lots of calls and comments in relation to what Declan's mm. just been talking to us about anti-social behaviour but um, just going back to your earlier interview with Nolene Blackwell Shane was in contact with us in relation to the teacher receiving a one-year jail mm. sentence um, for having sex with a 16-year-old student. Um, and he says, I don't get this at all. Um, it's sex. He said, she didn't beat him up or do anything involving malice. 16 isn't a baby. It's a physical sexual act. I don't see what the issue is here at all. Using the word child, word child to describe a 16-year-old is deliberately misleading, he says. Well, that not uh, to the letter of uh, the law. The law considers uh, the age of consent to be 17 and that if you're under the age of 17, you are not capable of giving consent because you are a minor and uh, if uh, somebody has uh, sex with somebody who is under 17, that is considered to be statutory rape. This is it. Mm. Um, But as as you said, it does kind of... um the 
water seems to be muddied for some people on that story mm. for some reason, yeah. purely, mm-hmm. as you said earlier with Nolene. But um, moving on to the issues regarding um, Halloween, Anne was in contact to say that Gardaí come in for a lot of criticism and most certainly need to be held accountable for their actions on occasion. But at the same time, she says no amount of money would pay her to do the work that they do, along with their other colleagues in the emergency services, particularly around the time of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, she saw that video of the attack in the squad car and she found it very frightening to watch. Um, so she doesn't. E- she says she can't even begin to imagine how frightening it was for the yeah. officers in the car. It's a miracle nobody was hurt, she said. Okay. And on the same subject, Tommy says those lads attacking the squad car are brave men, all right. Attacking people who are simply trying to do their jobs and who are patrolling the, ta- the town to make sure the vulnerable are being protected on what can be the scariest night of the year. Yeah. They need to be identified and prosecuted. Okay. Again, on the same subject, like I said, a lot of people rang in yeah. on it. Jack says, every year at this time, we have thuggery and violence connected to Halloween. We've lost control of law and order in this country. The fire service and the Gardaí are being called to these places and then are being attacked. The, um, these places, and he means mm. derelict buildings, should be closed up and sealed up properly if left unattended. Um, they're a magnet for vandals. Okay, all right. A lot and of strong thoughts there. A lot of strong thoughts. And again, Mags on the same subject mm. says she was in her local shop last night and was amazed to see groups of young lads aged between 10 and 13, she told mm. me, being mm. turned away yeah, by security because yeah. they're trying to buy large quantities of eggs and flour, which obviously they intended to use as weapons. And when she spoke to security guard <sighs> afterwards, they told her that her reports of cars being egged and basically you throw mm. the egg first and then throw the flour and it sticks and that's it she'd heard a lot of uh, reports that heard reports mm. of cars being attacked and it was causing huge problems for drivers and safety concerns yeah, for the locals well, of as course, well yeah, yeah. yeah obviously so uh, I'm sure it could obscure your vision to say the least well this is mm. it mm. Um, and a taxi driver was in contact with us um, they didn't want to give their name but they mm. told us that they've picked up one of the so-called uh, feud ringleaders on several occasions okay. and they said that they're terrified of refusing the fare mm. and they've brought them to houses in Ratmullen waited outside and then brought them onto houses in um, Moneymore and doing a few drop-offs is this it, is yeah. it. Okay. and they said on these journeys you pass at least six, um, at least four sets of traffic lights mm. and they say their heart is in their mouth every time a car pulls up alongside the car in or even behind shot, yeah. this is it yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they just said um, people mm. are living in fear in the town and um, of these people and their total lack of regard for people's mm. safety and um, I'll just finish up with mm. this one because mm. I know time is mm. against us but Michael was in touch um, in relation to your piece with Superintendent Waters mm. and he said it's um, a sad reflection on our society to hear what he was describing as the resignation in Superintendent um, Waters' voice this morning when, and Michael was paraphrasing a little bit, when he felt that Superintendent Waters essentially said that members of the force nearly expect to come under attack at Halloween, that it didn't seem to surprise him that a car had been attacked like that at Halloween. Yeah. He said mm. that's what struck him most about the interview, that mm. while we were all shocked and yeah. we're talking about it on the programme this morning, Superintendent Waters was like, mm. essentially it's another day at the yeah. office for them yeah. when it comes to Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he says these men and women put their yeah. own safety at risk so we can feel safe in our own homes and mm. they don't deserve to be treated like this. Those responsible have to be pre- prosecuted and anyone who knows of the art mm. needs to come forward. Yeah, and uh, as for the driver of uh, the Garda car, uh, I can't imagine uh, what... Uh, uh, the guard was going through or his uh, colleague uh, no. for that matter I know if it was me uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have driven out of the estate because I wouldn't have driven in in the first place I don't know if Moneymore is a, a no-go area but I, I think there are a lot of people who would be afraid to go into Moneymore and uh, especially all the more so after what happened there last night and that's uh, a terrible thing to have to say about any area because there's mm-hmm. so many good
other people who are living in money more and listening to us uh, this morning but uh, I'm sure many of them would uh, understand why we're saying that and agree that that is unfortunately the situation that has come about because of the behaviour of a few a thugs few, yeah. in the state. Alright Maggie, we leave it there for the moment. I can't tell you about my bugbearer yet uh, okay. because I don't have the time. Might get to do it uh, before the end of the programme. I hope so. Uh, but Now we'll go to Cavan uh, where there is ongoing strain on Garda resources. Brendan Smith, Fianna Fáil TD for Cavan Monaghan is on the line. A very good morning to you Brendan Smith and thanks for joining us. We've been talking about uh, some of the pressure on Garda in Louth this morning and the ongoing pressure uh, resulting from the gangland feud and indeed some attacks on Gardaí last night. Uh, there's the ongoing problem in Cavan with uh, the directors of uh, Quinn Industrial Holdings and uh, this uh, now uh, is an issue for the Armed Response Unit, um, a big issue for the Gardaí but it would seem a big issue for the PSNI in Fermanagh as well, particularly following on from uh, the developments in the last couple of days and uh, this mass man reading this statement uh, which was photographed in uh, the Irish Post newspaper. Oh yes, and it was chilling to hear that statement. Of course, back a month ago, we were all shocked to hear of the abduction of Kevin Nunney in Kinali in Fermanagh. He was brought across the border into Cavan. Um, um, serious injuries inflicted on, on him and then him dumped on a, on a country road. Mm. And I think we were all, on that Wednesday morning, I remember being in Dal Airden when I first heard of it, we were all shocked by, by this thuggery, by this criminality, by this infliction of serious wounds on a decent man going about his day's work. And then I think that, that shock and then it turned to anger by all of us living in, in, in the border community that this type of criminality was occurring on our, on our doorsteps. It was deplorable, it was despicable, and I and, and, and the, indeed my colleague Declan Brannock, we've been calling in the Dáil for additional resources for the Garda for the, for the divisions mm. in the border region, and I've often used the phrase in Dáil debates at question time and other debates, that there are unique policing demands in a border region that has a long land border with a neighbouring jurisdiction and and there has been ongoing criminality in relation to attacks on Quinn Industrial Holdings property and on persons mm. since 2011. There have been more than than 70 incidents and I always believe that the Gardaí who are stretched as it is to carry out their, their, their routine daily duties, that they should have been augmented, supplemented by personnel and resources from the national specialist units. That should have been happening over the years. The Minister has given us an assurance through all debates that I had in the immediate aftermath of mm. the abduction and injuries inflicted on Kevin Nunney that the necessary resources would be put in place. He and the Garda Commissioner are stating that they're in place. I sincerely hope they are. I welcome the deployment of an armed response unit to Cavan that had been planned in fairness prior to the abduction of Kevin Nunney and these recent incidents. But it's extremely important as well that alongside our Gardaí having essential resources, be it in personnel, vehicles and backup from mm. the national units, that our neighbouring police officers in Fermanagh in this instance or in, in, in Down or, or when we consider um, County Loud that um, they have the necessary resources as well. 
because we all know there's an extra yeah. complication in bringing people with evidence to bring them to a court and to successfully prosecute whoever is guilty of these crimes. Yet there's a high threshold of evidence required, and that's quite rightly. Mm. None of us want to see a miscarriage of justice. And, and it brings back into light the complications of dealing with problems uh, along the border across two jurisdictions, uh, and particularly when it's a, a contentious border. And as a, a former justice minister yourself, you'd have had to have dealt with a, a lot of problems that would have been unique to the border. But what type of problems are we talking about now? Uh, because you mentioned criminality and thuggery and that sort of thing. Uh, but is there an element of paramilitarism I- involved in all of this? Uh, because that seemed to be the impression uh, that Charlie Flanagan was giving on prime time last night, especially when he talked about that masked man. Yeah, well, I, 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 I'd say maybe there's some element, and I naturally I don't know the individuals who are involved in this. I don't know where they're from. They're, they're probably from both jurisdictions. But I have to say that at times criminals will use this paramilitary umbrella as well. They may have. They're probably people who were involved in paramilitaries in the past. I don't know. I, I, I'm not privy to that information. But whoever they are, or whatever umbrella they want to put over them in regard to some misplaced ideology. It's criminality, so it is, and it has to be stamped out. Declan Brannock and myself, uh, as, as mm. members of the British Irish Parliamentary Assembly, we work on a, what's called the Sovereign A Committee. We have put forward proposals in a recent report that we adopted in Birmingham last Sunday week with our British colleagues in regard to the need for more cross-border cooperation to deal with the issues of smuggling, illegal, illicit trade, all of that, and to stamp out that type of criminal activity that has earned a lot of money for criminals and thugs and it has deprived this state of revenue it has harmed and and done serious damage to genuine businesses that are paying their way and that are being undercut and undermined by illicit trade what what is their ideology why are these guys doing this Uh, 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 i mean they're not at war with businessmen are they no, they're not. I'd say their ideology is the punt on sterling, to be put it bluntly, I, w- I would think. And, and oftentimes in the past, people who, who latched on to so-called paramilitary groups to speak of the behaviour that they involved themselves mm. in over the years and caused so much mayhem and death and suffering on our island. A lot of the people who latched on to, to those ideologies, it was the punt on the sterling and they were loyal to the half-crown anyway. But they want Sean Quinn to uh, take back over the Quinn group. Do they? Well, those those people are, are writing statements. I have to say, RTE last night, and I only heard it on the car on the radio when mm. I was travelling. Sean Quinn has has called on those people in a statement to Prime <clears throat> Time or some RTE thing. He he asked those people who issued those recent threats to withdraw them immediately, and he said that they're not acting in his name or in his family's name. And and to be to be fair, in the immediate. A- aftermath of the abduction of Kevin Nunney, he called the that act of abducting and injuring Kevin a barbaric act, and he repeated yesterday. But their case appears to be that Sean Quinn is being treated unfairly, doesn't it? Well, well they are, they are, those people who, who issued those statements, that was the language that they used, but all I can say is that Sean Quinn has asked those people to withdraw those threats. I understand that, that but I mean, I'm we all saw the uh, poster on television last night, people that have seen it in the papers, has been there for years, uh, and hasn't been removed, uh, outlining Lee McCaffrey's salary and Tony and Kevin Lunny's salary, and how Sean Quinn 
uh, earns zero pounds. Yeah, but and, and I'm sure that Mr. McCaffrey, Mr. Lunny, and the other senior management and directors of Queen Industrial Holdings would tell you that the that the 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 figures quoted weren't accurate. What, what, what has but that, 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 that's not the point. The, 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 point the, the, the point here is that this is the justification for the threats and the attacks that they're carrying out, it would appear. That's what this gang seems to believe. That because Sean Quinn is earning nothing and these people are earning whatever they're earning, uh, they feel that they've a right to take action. Sean Quinn is not involved in that business, and he has stated that very clearly. No, I understand, but but, but so you or I won't get a, get an income from a business that we're not involved in. I'm sure. But is, can I isn't that the motivation? To, Does that not appear to be the motivation of this gang, whoever they are? Yeah, but whoever they are, they're they're very misguided. If they think that 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 inflicting injury or issue and threats will resolve any issue. It won't resolve any issue. It creates further problems. But all I can, I can say is that Mr. Quinn, through that statement, RTE, and I and sure. quote them reasonably accurate from memory, yep. he said that those, those who advance those recent threats should withdraw them. Mm. So he did. And he, and he so says he doesn't clear. want, and he also said he doesn't want any involvement uh, in the Quinn group. He doesn't want uh, to be reinstated or anything like that. He did. But, but if that is the cause, if you like, uh, if this gang have a cause and it's to get Sean Quinn reinstated or to take back over the Quinn Group, if that's their cause, what's their motivation? What's in it for them? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know, but their, their cause, no, no cause can justify threats and, and intimidating people. And what I'm concerned about is nobody can 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 feel intimidated going to work. People shouldn't be af- afraid in regard to the safety, security of their home or their persons. Threats to individuals, threats to businesses, they're not acceptable and they cannot be tolerated. So that's why I, would re- I have repeatedly stated, not just in the last month, but I've repeatedly stated for the necessary resources at police level, both in our jurisdiction and in our neighbouring jurisdiction, to be put in place to ensure that the absolute comprehensive and thorough investigations are carried out to bring those people responsible for that type of behaviour, bring them before the courts, and the people who are guilty have to, have to, justice has to be brought about in this instance. And can I just say, I happen to know a lot of the 830 plus people who are employed in Queen Industrial Holdings. They are all people typical of, in, of any community, urban or rural, they have their mortgages, they have their families to rear, they have their health and education bills and, and pressures to meet ends meet every week. They want to be able to go about their work, eh, securing the knowledge that, are, that at their place of work, on their way to work, on their way home from work, that they don't have to look over their shoulder in any fear. And obviously, this is not a good image for our area, where, we, where I, have, I have been a public privilege to have represented Cavan and Monaghan in the bad days prior to the Good Friday Agreement and in much better political environment since the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. I didn't think that we'd be back discussing this type of criminality in, in this region. So we, we want to, to, to rid our region of that criminality and we're not being pa- taken back to the bad days of the past. And that's the message from the people that I represent. 99.99% plus of the people in the border region, whether it's, it's Loud, Monaghan, Cavan, etc., or any of this region, they're decent, law-abiding, hard-working people who are concerned about their jobs, who are concerned about their children's future, and who are concerned about health and education and every other daily issue. They want to get on with their day's work. They won't tolerate this type of criminality. And the way to eliminate this is to bring whoever is responsible for this criminality 
bring them to justice, have the necessary investigations carry out as rapidly as possible. And I understand and fully appreciate that when there's a cross-border element involved, there are, there are additional complications in regard to evidence and having that available for courts. And I know you just can't bring mm-hmm. people in off the street, understandably and quite rightly, and accuse people or charge them with something without the, the, the threshold of evidence. And that's quite right. But I would sincerely hope that in Garda Shia our police force and our, our neighbouring police force, PSNI, will have the necessary resources and evidence in place to get rid of this criminality that none of our people want. Okay, Brendan Smith, we leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us here, as always, uh, this morning. Brendan Smith, Finnefall TD for Cavan Monaghan. The Michael Reed Show. Now, the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, is committed to making contraception available to everyone free of charge by 2021. This follows a recommendation from the Joint Committee on the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution and also pressure from women's groups, in particular the National Women's Council of Ireland. Dr. Cleena Lochnan is a Women's Health Coordinator with the National Women's Council and she's on the line. And a very good morning to you and thanks for joining us here on the programme. This morning, this may or may not be the right thing to do, depending on how you read the report from the working group on access to contraception. They're saying it'll cost a lot of money to begin with, and they put forward three different options in terms of how to address the problem if there is a problem. Good morning to you, Cleena. Good morning, Michael. So uh, you believe that it should be made available to everybody free of charge. Why so? Yeah, well, I suppose like, we've always seen the issue of contraception is within the broader issue around women's reproductive health and something that, you know, is with women throughout their lives and the health system does need to support women around their reproductive needs. And I suppose Ireland's been pretty late um, in terms of developing our reproductive health services. Um, but we know that, you know, now we're providing universal access to abortion services and providing access to contraception for women, which is something that many women will be using throughout their lives. Mm. Um, is very important and it's something that many other public health systems do um, and it obviously has benefits for women around them being able to uh, plan their families to be able to avoid crisis pregnancy there's also benefits around um, um, STIs so sexually transmitted diseases and also for some contraceptive methods there is also support that it helps women around their menstrual health and this recommendation to make it available to everyone free of charge came as a result of the recommendation uh, to liberalise uh, abortion laws in this country because there was the fear uh, that uh, there would be a lot of abortions from crisis pregnancies. So people said, well, give people the contraception and they won't end up in a crisis pregnancy. This report says that may not be the end result. Well, I suppose the report, it's a very detailed report and there's a lot in there that, you know, we need to consider. But I suppose one of the things that the report does talk about a lot is that while people in Ireland who are sexually active are primarily using contraception, the use of the most effective forms of contraception is is lower here than it is in other places. Um, And so, you know, it's not just about people having access to any form of contraception. It's about having and making sure that people have access, and women in particular, to the contraceptive methods that are most effective and they're most cost-effective over time. So they tend to be the long-acting reversible contraception, so things like the coil and the implant. And in Ireland, the way our system currently is, if you don't have a medical card, there are you know significant mm. upfront costs to using those uh, methods. And I suppose it does appear from the, the what we know about usage in Ireland that uh, many women must be finding those upfront costs too much. The report does say, you know, we have been seeing reductions in crisis pregnancy, which is very positive in Ireland, because 
you know, it's only since the 80s, but since the 80s, there has been much better access to contraception. Uh, but as I say, our usage doesn't follow the most effective methods. And the report does talk about how, you know, uh, providing universal access will have some impact uh, in helping us reduce those crisis mm-hmm. pregnancies as well. And it does, I think it's important as well. The report talks about, you know, you need to think about it on a population level, what it will do for the population, but also for individual women and, and uh, for women, how we can spare them, the, you know, the emotional difficulties of crisis pregnancy. Mm. And I think the cheapest form of contraception is uh, the condom, the male condom. Uh, and it's not a, a case of making condoms available to everybody free of charge by uh, way of introducing free contraception. It's, uh, as you say, uh, the contraception that people believe, whether they're male or female, I suppose, uh, is most uh, effective for them individually or as couples. Yeah, and I suppose there is just a real uh, gender dimension to this issue, of course, because of biology. It is women that primarily, you know, must bear the, do bear the responsibility for the use of contraception because of the type of contraception that's available. So that's things like the coil, the implant, and mm. so on, or the contraceptive pill. We do have a scheme in Ireland uh, run by the HSC that does provide condoms, uh, the condom distribution service, and as I understand, it's primarily, you know, through public health. Um, locations through colleges and so on but if you're buying condoms privately in Ireland they are actually very you know considerably more expensive here than in other European countries and um, but yeah the report mm-hmm. I think we're really focusing now on how can we move um make sure that women have can access those most effective forms and I suppose the other thing to say is that you know um while the contraceptive pill is, is you know the most commonly used by women at the moment um there is signs, and from members of the Women's Council, so Dublin Well Women and the Irish Family Planning Association, that they would say that they're seeing a lot more women who are interested in using the longer forms, and that sometimes, it, you know, it's cost that stops them from being able to go ahead with that. Okay, and the, the, the cost to the state, if it was made available to women free of charge, this report estimates uh, would be somewhere between 80 and 100 million euro, which is a significant amount of money. And it also says there's a risk uh, that what would happen is uh, that instead of the women themselves spending money on this contraception, that they just spend it on something else. And what I suppose, is, you know, for us, uh, reproductive health and contraception is a key part of that, is a fundamental part of, of women's rep- uh, health needs. So it's about us as a, as a country deciding that we're going to follow through on these commitments that have started mm. to be made to women's health. I mean, we see this in terms of the overall health system. Like Ireland is moving towards via Solange Care to universal provision of health services. Mm. And for women, this is one of the core re- um, health services that women need. So it is about us. Okay, I suppose, but to put, the, put, to put that into a question to you, if I can't, you, you, do, do you reject what the report is saying, that that, 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 that is a risk, that that could be the end uh, 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 effect of this, that people would just take the money that they would have spent on contraception and spent it on something else? But I suppose if, if we think of, you know, in terms of health spending, at the moment, people in Ireland, because of the way our health service is set up, we do have a lot of private spending on what are necessary health care outlays, and contraception is one of those for women. So moving towards universal health, um, a universal system and universal contraception is part of that, is about us as a state using public money to provide for these services. And we feel that's appropriate. We think universal health uh, health care um, is the direction of travel that the government has taken and is really important for health outcomes for all of us in Ireland in terms of our access mm. to public health care. And we're just talking about one element of, of the universalism here. Mm. 
Okay, well, I suppose the Minister is committed to making it uh, available free of charge universally. If he goes ahead with that, this report says it'll cost between 80 and 100 million euro. Uh, They also say that there are other options, one which would cost between 30 and 40 million euro, and that is to make it available on a more limited basis involving women uh, giving getting access to long-acting reversible contraception for free and a third option uh, which would be to make contraception available uh, to younger people between 17 and 24 and the cost involved in that would be between 18 and 22 million euro uh, but it's the first option uh, that you'd encourage the minister to go with exactly yes that's the most we feel that obviously will impact most on most women will get all the women who are having difficulty accessing you know those most effective forms into the system but also ensure that there's choice because those long-acting um, reversible contents they're not appropriate for everyone and they're not appropriate for women at all different stages of their lives so yes for us it is about the government following through on its commitment to taking women's health much more seriously within our system. Okay, we leave there. Thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. Dr. Cleena Lochnan, Women's Health Coordinator with the National Women's Council of Ireland. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reid Show. Somebody may become homeless uh, today. In fact, uh, if last month there's anything to go by, it's uh, more likely that two people will become homeless uh, today. There were 59 people who were homeless more uh, that is uh, than uh, would have been uh, the case in August uh, for the month of uh, September the figures are once again the worst ever 10,397 people are now living in emergency accommodation almost 4,000 of those are children 3,873 children it really is an incredible statistic uh, let's talk once again with Father Peter McVerry. Good morning, Peter, and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme. I, I just make two comments on yep. what you've said. Yep. You've said that there are 59 more people homeless. That's two a day. But actually, far more than two a day have become homeless in the last month mm. because that figure doesn't include those who have exited homelessness. <clears throat> so if you had, say, another 52 who exited homelessness, another 59 who exited homelessness, that's actually 108 people who became homeless Mm. during the last month. At the second day, comment is we don't have 10,000 people who are homeless. We probably have closer to 20,000. Those 10,000 do not include people sleeping rough. They do not include uh, refugees in direct provision who can't move out because they can't find accommodation. It doesn't include uh, women and children in domestic refuges. Mm-hmm. It doesn't include young people particularly who are sofa surfing with friends. And it doesn't include families who instead of registering as homelessness decided to go and live with their relatives in sometimes very overcrowded homes. It doesn't include the man who lives in a hole, does it? A hell hole uh, is the headline on the front page of uh, the Daily Mirror today. A man living in a rat-infested underground hole uh, near the Grand Canal in Dublin. Uh, It doesn't include that. The figure Mm. only includes those who are accommodated in defined uh, emergency hostel accommodation. Nobody else is included in that figure of just over 10,000. And the first point you made... ...estimates the number of people who are actually homeless. Uh, And the first point you made uh, about it being 108 people who have become homeless uh, in the month of September rather than it being uh, 59 uh, is the same argument the government is making, though, isn't it? Uh, In that they're saying that more people are becoming homeless uh, than uh, they are housing. That's correct, and that's the problem. 
Focus Ireland, who deal primarily with homeless families, they will say they can house one homeless family every day, but there are three families presenting as homeless every day. The the problem is is uh, the number of people becoming homeless exceeds the ability of the local authorities or the housing bodies to actually accommodate homeless people. And so the most urgent need is to stop that flow into homelessness. And that flow is coming primarily from the private rented sector. Landlords who say they're selling the house and the family have to be moved out. Now we have, this has been going on now for over three years. The government keep them saying the mantra, our policies are working, you just have to give us more time. And I'm saying, how much more time do you need? <laughs> Three years is a long time. You know, Berlin has a similar problem to ourselves. It has a huge housing. Uh, what they have done, they have introduced not just a rent freeze, they have instructed landlords to reduce the rent to the levels that existed in 2013. And they have limited very strictly the increases in rent that the landlords can impose over the next five years. That's now they're saying, look, this is going we don't know what's going to happen. This is going to lead to legal action. Yeah. Landlords are up in arms. Mm. Uh, we don't know what the unexpected consequences are. But they they uh, see what the, their situation as a crisis and a crisis requires crisis uh, <clears throat> uh, policies. And we're a million miles away from that. What we are doing is tweaking, tweaking the housing uh, policies that we have. And that's just simply not working. We've got to become much more radical. We've got to recognize this as a crisis. If this was a foot and mouth crisis, mm. there would be huge uh, action going on to, uh, to prevent this foot and mouth uh, thing from, from spreading and to, to eliminate it. We need that same sort of passion to address the housing crisis and the homeless crisis that we have today. And I don't see that passion. Mm, uh, no, it's uh, becoming normalised, in fact. Very much so. Once anything happens for more than six months, it becomes the norm. There was a huge outcry <clears throat> when the numbers actually mm. reached uh, the 10,000 mark. Now we've got used to that. And <coughs> excuse me, although the numbers keep going up, the 10,000 mark has become normalised and so we are no longer outraged by the uh, increase in homelessness month after month after month. We have about over 3,800 children who are homeless. Mm. The next landmark is going to be 4,000. Yeah. And then there'll be another outrage for three days mm. and it'll be uh, then that'll become normalised. Three days or three minutes. Uh, I mean, people should be outraged if one child is uh, we made We've lost our yeah, sense yeah, of yeah, outrage. Yeah, 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 we really have. Yeah. This is an absolute disgrace in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, in what we're told is the mm. fastest growing economy in the EU, and yet we have rising, rising numbers of homeless there is something very radically wrong, not just with our housing policy, but with the whole economic mm. policy, yeah. whereby some people are getting richer and richer and richer, and homeless people and those who are poor are mm. getting stuck in their, yeah. in their situation. And the economic policy, as we've discussed uh, before, indicates uh, that it's going to get worse. That's if you look at uh, the budget for 2020 with uh, an increase in the spend on uh, the amount of people who are rough sleeping and uh, the amount of money that is going to be spent on HAP and providing for housing in that way. Uh, but all of that, of course, uh, as they say, is being overshadowed by Brexit uh, and uh, they're in a bind and we have to give them time, as you were saying earlier on as well, Peter. 
Well, time, uh, people don't have, homeless people don't have time. Uh, and I mean, I, I was quite prepared in July 2016 mm. when the government introduced their strategy for reducing homelessness. I was quite prepared, and I told, said it to the minister, to give him time for the strategy to kick in. But three years, three yeah. years, no, that's, that's much too long. Okay. And the government keeps saying that their housing policy is working. This has to do with increasing the supply of housing. We're not increasing the supply of housing sufficiently. We're going to build 21,000 houses this year in this country. But all the experts will agree that we need at least 35,000 new houses every year just to meet the expanding population. We're not even addressing that, never mind trying to help people who are homeless and in poor quality accommodation move out of it. It's a shameful... supply is... Not uh, is not increasing adequately to uh, to allow us to to get to grips with this problem. Okay, it's a, a shameful situation as uh, the figures go. It seems set to cause shame for some time to come. Uh, the worst figures uh, again. Uh, the latest figures uh, undoubtedly will be back talking about the worst figures ever again next month. But we leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed as always, Jesuit priest Peter McVerry. Now before we go today, uh, let's go back to that bug bearer that I was talking to Maggie about. Three bugs. In fact, uh, we've uh, Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, and indeed Nigel Farage. You, you've had a great impact on this, Nigel. You, you've, you and I have become friends over the last couple of years, and you saw what was happening with my thing, just like you saw what was happening over there. You're like a great tea leaf reader. Uh, but And I'd like to see you and Boris get together, because you would really have some numbers, because you did fantastically in the election, the last election. And Absolutely. he respects you a lot. I can tell you that. He respects you a lot. I don't know if you know that or not, but because uh, I, I have no idea. You know, I have enough to do over here without having uh, to worry do. about the psychology. No, you do. You two, do. Two brilliant people over there, frankly. Well, if he, but, if he drops uh, the he deal. Res- he has a lot of respect and like for you. I just, I wish you two guys could get together. I think it would be a great well, thing. I tell you what, if he drops this dreadful deal, fights the general election on the basis that we'd want to just have trade with Europe, but no political interference. Do you know what? I'd be right behind him, and, and, and let's hope he gets, wow. to, he, he gets to that position. Um, you know. Now, against him, of course, the main rival is one Jeremy Corbyn, who I know didn't, yeah. didn't come along to see you um, at the state dinner when you were here. Uh, now, Mr Corbyn says... Well, he wasn't invited. I, I, I certainly didn't know he was invited. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure he's a lovely man, but... Uh, you know, he's of a uh, different persuasion, to put it mildly. Well, Perhaps he is. the opposite. He he's says, at the opposite end. He says if we have a trade deal, Donald Trump, it'll be a Trump Brexit, and Trump will come and take over our National Health Service. What do you have to say to him? No, not at all. We wouldn't even be involved in that. No, we, we're trying to fix our health service. We all have our health service problems, and frankly, and you do over there, and, and uh, we do. And one of the things that we're running so successfully on is how great a job I've done on health care. We've done a fantastic job. No, it's not for us to have anything to do with your health care system. No, we're just talking about trade. Uh, your trade with us could be four to five times higher than it is right now. Mm-hmm. That would make it that would make your country 
much bigger economically yeah. than okay. it is right yeah. now. And yeah. you're being held yeah. back by yeah. the European Union. Well, so well, what should we do, Donald? Should we vote for should we vote for Nigel? Sorry to interrupt you, Donald. Should we vote for Nigel? I think he called uh, Jeremy Corbyn a horrible man as well uh, and uh, was promoting Boris Johnson. It's a dramatic intervention in the British general election by the American president. That's Donald Trump speaking to Nigel Farage on LBC Radio last night. And that's where we leave you for this week. Hope you have a lovely weekend. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.